This podcast is offered by San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I just want to thank uh, once again uh, Nancy Petrin, our Tanto, our head of practice, for uh, extending the invitation, uh, which I understand actually comes from our abiding abbot, which is, who is uh, David Zimmerman. Um, and uh, as always, I uh, want to thank my teacher, Renzo Ed Sadasan, who sees me. Um, <clears throat> I'm really glad you're all here today. Uh, I don't know how many of you live in San Francisco uh, or in the Bay Area or Northern California. Uh, I can just speak for this part of the country. It was a very strange day today. Um, it was, uh, we, we had this huge layer of smoke that are coming from all of the terrible, terrible fires that are happening. Um, tens of thousands of people are uh, under evacuation orders. Um, we give our good wishes to them for their safety and all the firefighters and all the support people um, the fire is actually getting very close to our monastery that many of you know, uh, Tassahara. Um, hopefully it won't, won't get that far. Um, but yeah, it was a very strange day. Um, uh, but in some ways it was uh, beneficial for us in our practice to have this uh, environmental catastrophe brought home uh, to us. Uh, everything is practice, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on which side of the practice you're on uh, for us in Buddhism. Uh, we're reminded though, especially in days uh, like today, with our, uh, our smallness, our, our vulnerability, as human beings and what a precious gift this life is. Um, it helps to sit during times like this. It helps to sit in meditation. Um, I sat several times today <laughs> um, while trying to get the final bits together of this talk that sometimes didn't seem quite that re so relevant compared to what was going on. Um, but sitting uh, helped me a great deal today that's always recommended in times of great stress and disorder. Um, we say in Zen, uh, wash your bowls as a way to decide what to do after you get up from sitting. If um, there's a lot of anxiety or if you're fixated on, on something in particular, uh, like today I was, uh, and feeling some anxiety. And that comes from uh, case 39 in the um, Book of Serenity. This is a koan. A monk asked Jiaoju, I have entered the monastery. Please give me some guidance. Jiaoju said, have you had breakfast yet? The monk said, yes, I've eaten. 
Jaju said, then go wash your bowl. <laughs> and uh, this used to be interpreted as a very profound teaching. Uh, it's not to me anymore. <laughs> it's just, uh, just go wash your bowls. Um, I came to San Francisco Zen Center a couple of decades ago. Uh, I had just gotten into 12-step recovery. Uh, I am a uh, um, deeply experienced drug addict and alcoholic, and uh, I'd just gotten into recovery. And uh, in 12-step recovery, we have a similar saying, which is do the next best thing. Just do the next best thing. When you're, you're not doing drugs and alcohol anymore after you've been doing them, for a long time, living normal life is uh, filled with anxiety and you just don't know what to do. So that's what my sponsor said to me and I've been trying to do that ever since, um, whenever I feel overwhelmed. Um, just wash your balls. And these are getting back to the basics basically. And um, that's really what the teaching of Buddhism is uh, for me in times like this. And that's what it has been for the last, uh, really, to be honest, couple of several years, uh, where there's been a lot of overwhelming things going on, but particularly these last few months during the COVID uh, crisis. Um, I've had to focus on just living my life at the most basic, uh, working if I can, and for those of you who can, this is a you know, really basic way of being for most of us. But just doing one thing at a time, um, which has been sort of a new way of, of trying to mindfully work, just doing one thing at a time. Eating, preparing a meal, having a simple day where I focus on meals, going for a walk, trying to sleep properly. Uh, these things alone, uh, are essential for giving extra attention to in order to maintain um, some kind of presence in life. Try not to watch too much news. I probably still watch too much news, news but I'm, I'm cutting back on it. Uh, um, although it gets difficult sometimes when new things happen and uh, I find myself fighting that once again. Returning to basics, as far as uh, formal Buddhist teachings are concerned, uh, for me has meant uh, the Satipatthana Sutra. And um, this is uh, one of the Buddha's uh, basic teachings. Um, and uh, it's a wonderful sutra to read. It's a short sutra. Um, and uh, what it is, is um, really sort of, a basic guide to how to be. And uh, it acts kind of as a, a, a tour guide of the universe inside of us, of how this uh, uh, unendable uh, universe that we have inside of us is connected with the external. Uh, universe outside of us. It, it shows us, it, uh, it gives us a technique to go on this epic journey. And it begins with the breath. Um, this life-giving 
phenomenon, this life-giving activity that we do, uh, most of the time not thinking about it at all, um, but it asks us to begin to pay very close attention um, to this uh, amazing activity that uh, so many of us are having a relationship with right now uh, in so many different ways. Uh, the smoke, uh, you know, uh, it's been really hot. You want to have the window open. The window open means there's smoke outside. Um, breath has been taken away in front of our eyes. Uh, uh, it's been brutal to, um, uh, to watch um, the death of, of uh, George Floyd. Um, so this essential thing, the Satipatthana Sutra asks us to really pay attention to this, and that's how it is that it begins. Um, it goes on to take us through the body, to ask us to uh, do a scan in the body and to be honest about what it is that's going on. And one of my favorite parts, which I always like to read, um, is... Again, monks. He reviews this same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair, enclosed by skin, as full of many kinds of impurity thus. In this body there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, bowels, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. Looking very closely at every part of the body and not leaving anything out. This is what the Satipatthana Sutra asks of us, to pay attention to everything. Sometimes it's called uh, the four foundations of mindfulness. And the four foundations are focusing on the body, on feelings, the mind, and on dharmas. And by learning this uh, practice, we proceed on this tour to see what it's like to be alive. What is it like to be a human being in this body, in between birth and death? What does it mean? to really investigate it in great detail without leaving anything out. It's an investigation of both joy and of suffering. The investigation that uh, Dogen asks us to do, Dogen, uh, Ehi Dogen is our 13th century founder of the Soto Zen school, uh, where he takes this training into account and sums it up by asking us by saying to us to study the Buddha way is to study the self. And to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by myriad things. But in this, we're not trying to really, you know, figure anything out. Uh, we're not trying to come to a conclusion about what it is that we see. We're just going um, deeper and deeper into what it is that it mean, what, what, what it is that it means to be alive. We're trying to recognize the nature of the mind, what occurs 
in the mind, in the body, our feelings, and even in dharmas, is not permanent. It's not fixed. It's passing. We have to be careful because some things are very unpleasant to look at. We have to be rel relentless, though, because there's no conclusion. That means no, there's no end to the tour. When uh, I uh, priest-ordained, there were six of us who were uh, priest-ordaining at the same time. And so we were very lucky to have uh, Mel Weitzman, who's the um, uh, um, abbot of uh, Berkeley Zen Center, uh, come and give us our final talk before the day before we were going to be ordained. And <laughs> asked what it meant to be a priest. He said, uh, you stay in one place and go deep. You stay in one place and go deep. And for me, that's what the uh, Satipatthana Sutra trains us to do. We can see what it is by looking in this way. We can see what's ingrained and what's conditional in how it is that we're experiencing ourselves and the world around us. We become aware of self-deception um, and uh, dishonesty uh, is uh, sometimes our, uh, the place that we go to when we're faced with our own, uh, what at first appears to be ugliness. And um, this book is a fantastic book. And if um, you uh, want to study the Satipatthana Sutra, Paul Haller, who um, a former abbot, uh, says this this is the uh, the best book right here and it's an amazing book it also has a study guide and it's by Anilo he's a Theravadan uh, monk uh, and he says uh, the task of mindfulness is to remain receptively aware by clearly recognizing the state of mind that underlines a particular train of thoughts or reactions such uninvolved receptivity is required because of one's instinctive tendency to ignore whatever contradicts or threatens one's sense of importance and personal integrity. The habit of employing self-deception to maintain one's self-esteem has often become so ingrained that the first step to developing accurate self-awareness is honest acknowledgement of the existence of hidden emotions, motives, and tendencies in the mind without immediately suppressing them. Maintaining non-reactive awareness in this way counters the impulse towards either reaction or suppression contained in unwholesome states of mind and thereby deactivates their emotional and attentional pull. In uh, contemporary Buddhist uh, communities, um, anger has been seen mostly, I think it's changing a little bit right now, but anger has been seen as bad. We want to be calm and we don't associate anger with calmness. Many of us, that's why it is that we come to Buddhism to try and become calm and equanimous to become stable, and anger is not associated usually with that. 
But it's important for us to understand our anger and also connected to that is our reaction to other people's anger. Now reaction to other people's anger can, uh, our, our reaction can come from trauma and it's very important to identify that if that's the case uh, for you. Uh, you need to be careful and kind with all of the investigations of the Satipatthana Sutra. Uh, I'm gonna focus mostly on uh, anger here. Um, but we need to look both at our own anger, how it arises, and uh, uh, what's it like inside of us, and our response to other people's anger. What does that feel like? What's happening when uh, I have a certain kind of response? I've come across uh, in some of the uh, Buddhist communities that I've been around a kind of anger phobia, um, sort of. Uh, um, turning away from anger, not wanting to look at it. And uh, this can do so much damage. Um, it's a reality that's not being looked at when we experience anger. It's a normal ha uh, human experience. Um, it's uh, there usually for a series of reasons. Um, and when we don't look at it, when we don't look at the reality of anger as we experience it, both in ourselves and as we respond to it in others, um, it shuts down dialogue. And when dialogue is shut down, transformation is stifled. It's through interchange and interaction with one another that um, we are able to uh, heighten our transformation. That's one of the reasons why we focus on monastic pra practice in Zen. You say it rubs you rub the uh, rough edges off by being in close proximity with each other. And so we value that, uh, that dialogue, both uh, verbal and uh, physical dialogue that we have by being around each other. And Buddhism asks us to, to uh, transform our suffering into wisdom and then to apply that wisdom to the end of suffering. So looking at anger, both our own anger and our response to others' anger is actually about, sending, about ending suffering. Even though counterintuitively, it seems uh, like facing it is actually uh, deepening our suffering. Uh, the opposite is true. Now, uh, I might as well tell you, tragically, I am a uh, straight white male and uh, now is, uh, to say the least, uh, an interesting time to be a straight white male. Um, we've, we've had power for uh, a minimum of 10,000 years in <laughs> Western culture. Um, and uh, as we just take the most cursory look around, uh, we see what a mess has been made of the world. Um, and so in many ways, uh, that can be summed up to the leadership of straight white males. Uh, it, this is a time of great power shift though. Of, uh, things are changing. How deep they change and how uh, broadly they change, we will have to see. And it's up to us um, to uh, continue investigating power dynamics and um, this practice is a part of that for me.
I feel like this era of change uh, kind of started with historically with uh, around gay marriage. Um, up until that time, I feel like uh, many of the power controls that straight, straight white males had had were very much entrenched. And, if, and, and although they were changing, they were changing very slowly. But with gay marriage, there was a sudden shift that happened for a whole uh, range of uh, different fascinating reasons um, and important reasons. Um, uh, but I, I feel like this, this period began then and um, then being uh, very brief about this, uh, the Me Too era uh, made it so that our, um, we're going on, once again on a deeper inspection of patriarchy. And um, now we're looking once again in a deeper way uh, around racism. And as we do, I, I, I see, I can't help but see, uh, the, and I'm taught by uh, one of the great things that's come out of this COVID uh, shelter-in-place situation is more study. Um, and studying has shown me that almost everything that I have in my life has come to me in part uh, because I'm white and because I'm a male. And this is a massive shift in perspective, and it's very painful in many ways. Um, I've had a sneaking suspicion that that was the case for a couple of decades now, but uh, now uh, I must look at that squarely and fully face it, and uh, it makes me angry. Um, it makes me angry, not the loss of power, uh, because I think that's long overdue. Um, it makes me angry because of what it is that I have to witness and be a part of with this new perspective, the injustice for everyone who has been oppressed uh, by straight white males um, and the power institutions that have been controlled um, by that group. Anger is, uh, it's not a new investigation for me. Um, I'm not suddenly angry for the first time. Uh, I didn't really think I was that angry until I got into recovery a couple of decades ago. And then 12-step recovery has a wonderful uh, sort of pre-Satipatthana uh, 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 Sutra preparation training uh, and in that it teaches you to look at your anger and uh, it's called resentment very politely there. Um, but uh, it's a wonderful introduction to Buddhism in my opinion, 12-step um, recovery. And uh, very quickly in investigating my uh, anger, uh, it was shown to me that I have tr trauma uh, that is a very common kind of trauma and that it comes about from childhood neglect. My father was an alcoholic and my mother died when I was very young. So absolutely no one touched me uh, and very few people spoke to me for sometimes years 
on end and it caused lots of problems. Um, and there are now problems that I feel uh, genuinely grateful towards, uh, mostly because of uh, therapy, 12-step uh, recovery and Buddhist practice. Um, and um, they are now, this is trauma that, uh, although it's not gone, uh, my understanding of it inside of me connects me with other people in many ways that are um, very much in line with my with this this Buddhist practice. So, if you're working with the Sati Patana Sutra uh, uh, technique um, by in, uh, identifying internal experience of anger. Uh, you see that you know there's there's heat. You identify the physiological experience of it. Um, there's heat. There's constriction. There's um, uh, something other than heat. That's sort of a kind of a shame of warmth. Um, but most importantly, what uh, I found is that it fades away. So uh, I'm I'm not permanently angry. And I don't believe anyone is, although we sometimes refer to people as such, and we sometimes respond to people as if they were permanently angry. It's something that we are trained in Buddhism to notice uh, arises, comes into being, and then fades away. And it's very important to over and over again investigate that process of anger, to see then that it's connected to other things. There's something behind it. And for me, um, uh, what's behind anger is fear. And, um, you know, my early investigation identified the trauma that I just spoke about. Um, but there's, and, and there's some of that that's left over as embodied trauma uh, that is, is from my childhood that's brought into the present time. But what is left is, is fear uh, that I experience now mostly as uh, an adult male whose position is changing. And uh, for an excellent contemporary uh, investigation of, uh, um, of, power, of, of, of uh, anger, rage, and love is... Uh, Lama Rod Owens, uh, which was uh, going to be a much bigger part of my talk, but I strongly recommend this uh, for people. It's a, uh, he uh, co-wrote with Angel Kyoto Williams' uh, Radical Dharma. Uh, we've studied that uh, book a great deal and studied with Angel Kyoto uh, Williams here at, at San Francisco Zen Center. But this is a really uh, fantastic book. Um, he is uh, uh, African-American, he's a uh, authorized Lama in the Tibetan tradition, um, and he's very experienced as a, as a political activist and many other things. And for him, uh, what is behind anger for him is, um, is hurt, he calls it hurt. And hurts uh, is very similar to fear for me. Um, but I identify what's behind mine as, as fear. It's different for everyone. Anger is different for everyone. Um, it's uh, uh, responses to it are different for everyone. 
the point is, is, is really to have a method, a technique for discovery of how it is for you. And by seeing what uh, anger is made up of uh, and seeing that it's not permanent, that it has a life, that it rises and passes away, I'm able to connect with other people's experience, even though it might be different. Meditation itself is actually really the, in, in my experience, the best place to experience anger, to sit and be angry. And it's very easy to do. Uh, you know that you're in a safe place and you just touch the anger a little bit um, and learn to uh, make it proliferate and make it become really powerful. The most powerful anger I've ever experienced, in fact, uh, has been during meditation. Um, where I got to a place to where it was safe enough to uh, go deeper and deeper and deeper uh, into it, always returning to my breath, always returning to uh, the cushion and the safety of uh, sitting in a safe place. Um, <clears throat> but in this way, uh, I was able to no longer become, uh, 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 to no longer be afraid of, of anger. And... Um, uh, <clears throat> seeing its impermanence, I can uh, see how it is that it, it, it comes into being, it arises, it comes into being, and it fades away. Uh, I can be in control of my relationship with anger. It's no longer a threat to me. Um, it doesn't become rage. And uh, Lama Rod Owens, he, uh, he co-authors, or um, he... Uh, he, he uh, splits up, he differentiates between rage and anger. Rage is, rage follows anger. Um, and uh, that's no longer a threat uh, if you're able to investigate it in this way. Um, and so this, this has softened my aversion to it, my wanting to push it away. I can let it live and um, I can begin to investigate what's beneath it. I'm probably never going to be without my anger. It's not something that I want to be without. It's something that is, as I said already, is a, a human response to uh, myriad situations. And um, it's taught me a great deal and will continue to do so. Um, there is fear uh, that's embodied as, as trauma underneath my um, my anger, but it's quite specific. That old tra traumatic fear is very specific. It has a particular kind of feeling to it, and I'm acquainted with that now. Um, then there's sort of a generalized fear that I have about my, which is my response to the world as it is right now, running out of money, uh, getting sick, uh, getting old, uh, what's happening in the world. Uh, but then there's this other deeper fear that is, somehow a part of my being a mammal, I really notice it when I watch squirrels for some reason. <laughs> I really relate to the squirrels. Boy, that squirrel is really expressing the same kind of mammalian fear that I have. <clears throat> but that's a topic for another talk, I think. Um, so by seeing all of these uh, uh, previously hidden dimensions of my anger uh, come into being, and then disappear, I can relax 
around fear, which is very important to do and was a new experience for me, relaxing around my fear. And when I can relax around it, I can begin to have some mercy on myself and have mercy on the different kinds of fear that I have. And then to allow it to come up again, the anger and the fear that's behind the anger. So by investigating anger, I see that this darkest thing, this thing which coming to Buddhism, I wanted to cover up, hide from people, uh, this secret that I had for so long, actually uh, becomes the way in which I connect most, most deeply with others. Because as I learn about the anger that I have inside and the fear that is behind the anger, I see how it is that I share that fear with everyone else as it's expressed in so many different ways by other people's different kinds of anger and fear. And it's four minutes past when I was supposed to stop. I'm gonna finish with this wonderful poem from Kay Ryan called Yeses. Just behind the door, a second, but smaller by a few inches behind which a third again diminishes, then more and more, forming a foreshortened corridor or niche of yeses, ending in a mouse's entrance with a knob too small to pinch. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, please visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we all fully enjoy the Dharma.